0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Alien vs. Predator Galaxy podcast, the original Alien and Predators podcast. This is Aaron Percival, and joining me, as usual, is Partner in Crime.
1: Adam Zeller, or Ridgetop, as I'm known on the forums.
0: And this is episode 139. God, we're getting there.
1: (laughs) We're really getting there with these episodes. Drifty coming up.
0: I know, right? And as I often say when we do get the opportunity to talk Alien vs. Predator, you know, it says it on the title, Alien versus Predator Galaxy. It's always been Alien versus Predator Galaxy, but we don't tend to get to talk that concept too much. But Alien Predator, Alien versus Predator, is very much was a cross-media franchise. You know, it has its origins in in theatre in theatrical, but it is cross-media, and um, we've got plenty of comics, we've got plenty of games, and we've got plenty of fantastic comics and games, and especially lately. But when it comes to EVP, aside from Adam here, who uh, likes the films quite a lot you know avp success tends to come in the comic form or the game form you know you ask people what their favorite avp is it's going to be avp 2 it's gonna be avp on the jag it's going to be the original avp comic and it's probably going to be avp eternal for adam and i avp eternal is definitely up there and for that reason we thought it was time to talk to the person responsible for one of our favourite AVP titles, to talk to the person responsible for some of the franchise's notable and lasting plot elements. is none other than Mr Ian Hedgington. Thank you for joining us, Ian. Yep. I have a small boy in the corner and he will be quiet, he's promised.
1: I'll
0: try. <laughs> it's a pleasure. So special extra guest as well on the show. <laughs> Like I said, Eternal is, Adam and i's fav- uh, one of Adam and I's favourite. I consider it up there in the top three. And yes, I agree. And I, I didn't say it in, in the previous, in the preamble, when we were getting ready for the show, but it's actually the first EVP trade I ever brought was Eternal. As a fellow Britter, and I don't know if you're aware of this place, Meadow Hall in Sheffield. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you ever been? Yes, I think so, a while ago. Do you remember the lanes in there? Oh yes, I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. I brought it from the 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 little nerd shop in the lanes. The same time I brought my first ever Predator comic as well, which was Helen Hot, Helen Hotwater, um, many years ago. So not only do not only is it turn one of my favourites, it's also one of those ones that holds a bit of a soft spot in my heart for being my first. So it's an absolute pleasure to actually. <laughs> have you on the show I mean I, I know I first poked you a good you know a couple of years ago didn't I but I never actually got around to organizing yeah. there and then, and then we lost a
2: couple of years of COVID and then there's things and I've moved and changes in life and stuff and so on so yeah so it's nice
0: to actually find out you yeah. mm. sit down and, and converse indeed but before we start talking spine ripping and chest bursting and generally being <laughs> alien and predator nerds could you just tell our audience a little bit about Ian outside of Alien and Predator? You know, who are you and what do you do? I'm a writer primarily
2: of comic books. I'm a dad to two children, one of whom he's been paying back there, uh, and, a, and a grumpy cat. And I have far, far too many books that um, is good for me. Right good minute. There's no such thing. <laughs> and, and we have. And I'm a host of all of these Lego at the moment. I primarily work for 2000 AD, home to Judge Stredd and things like that. And I've I have a number of series there. there have been Red Seas, which is like a fancy pirate thing. There's been Stickleback, which is kind of like a steampunk. Uh, Matt Brooker did the artist. Israeli and I we did a series called Scarlet Traces, which was sequels to War of the Worlds. So that we've had that running there. But I've worked for Marvel, DC, Dark Horse. I've done stuff for Iron Maiden as well. Did a couple of series for Iron Maiden. Just done one for Kiss, which has been quite fun. So I kind of job jobbing writer, basically. I've done some big Finnish audio for Doctor Who and some Torchwood. So it's
0: you know, job jobbing writer. A bit a bit of everything then.
2: Yeah, it's kind of, it's, you can never offend me by throwing money at me. But mainly it's no, it's, it's just the ideas. You know, someone said, do you want to come and write Doctor Who? Or do you want to come and do Torture? Or I may want to do a comic. Can you put something together? It's like, yeah, okay. That's cool. So I've been very lucky in that it's kind of, it's been stuff that's like appealed. You know, yeah, that's a really cool idea. Or can you come up with something for Kiss or whatever? It's like, yep, yeah, I, can, I can. give me Give me the weekend. I'll see what I can do. I've done a lot of Warhammer and Games workshops,
0: and, you know, some 40K and regular stuff. So it's the life of the jobbing writer. And there's a lot of crossover there with 4K as well, aren't there? I mean, thematically. Oh yeah, I
2: mean, I think I'm, I think I'm effectively unemployable in any other job now. I'm kind of like I, I could maybe stack shelves. Uh, oh, in a pinch. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure my, my my back and my knees are up to it. But I've been really lucky as well in that I've worked on a lot of licensed stuff, like Planet of the Apes and Star Trek, Star Wars, Xena, Warrior Princess. So I'm used to the kind of the strictures that come with working on licensed things. You know, and, you, and you can't particularly have an ego because you're playing with somebody else's toys and property. But once you accept that, I mean, it's great. You know, it's like with, with Aliens and it's just like, you know, come and do us a series. It's like, yeah, cool. You know, Okay. So yeah, so that's been been fun to do. So I've, I've been quite fortunate in my career thus far.
1: And a tradition on our show, especially for those who've had the privilege of playing in these sandboxes, is to ask our guests about the first time they ever encountered our favorite extraterrestrials. So do you remember the first time you became aware of The Alien and The Predator? I went
2: to see Alien when it first opened in Birmingham it on, its, on its first run. And it was at the Gaumont, which was then the second biggest screen in Europe. It was like a massive like, wraparound cinema screen. And I was underage. <laughs> so I was worried that I was going to... We, we and there was actually a queue outside and around the block. And it was so we were watching it on the first run. So we, we, we sneaked yeah. in and uh, and that was good. Yeah, it, it was scary. It wasn't wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. It was just the atmosphere, big atmosphere. We all, I can't remember when I went to see Predator, but yeah, I, I went to see Predator on the first one. up. But I definitely remember going to see Alien. It was like it was that it was that Friday it opened or whatever, and there was a queue around the block, and we went, and it was just like it was, it was that was good fun. We were all kind of like oh, because it, it was said all in the newspapers like oh, people were so scared and then they were like throwing up and oh, and we we're like oh wow, what's it going to be like. So yeah. And then I, I went to see Aliens as well on the first run and that was just awesome. Actually, me and my friend Sean, we actually went back up to the box office and paid again and went and sat down and we saw it the second time.
0: Straight back in.
2: Yeah, straight back again. Because <laughs> just like oh, that's great. What did we miss? Because we were just going, that's really cool. So yeah, so we watched, <laughs> watched it twice in the same afternoon. So there, yes, big fan.
0: Which would you say is the favourite?
2: Oh, it's it's apples and pears. Big soft spot for Alien just because it's you know, the big haunt, you know, monster in the haunted house kind of thing, big on atmosphere. And it, it, it was it set up big up, and it kind of pretty much was groundbreaking. And then Aliens is just like, you know, it's just loud and in your face, and it's just great. I think Alien maybe just hedges it because it, it was groundbreaking, but a big, big soft spot for Aliens because it's just such a really good, snorting
0: movie. And, and to be fair as well, you know, Aliens... Has made such an impact on pop culture as well, you know, like we talked about with, with Warhammer, you know, and then things that were inspired by that and and also Predator, you know, we've got Term- uh, not Terminator, Halo, you know, um, Space Hawk as well.
2: Uh, I don't think you can have like a space movie that's got troopers in now uh, that doesn't touch on colonial marines. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's there, it's like, you know, it's like Blade Runner. Blade Runner has its fingers in every kind of, you know, futuristic. Tech noir-y kind of movie now it's you know, it's 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 there so I think that's the same with with aliens and of course with, with alien it's like you can feel the, the the slide into all you know how it colours the medium how about predator though predator's just big loud and stupid I have that <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're not looking for any subtlety in Predator, and it's just, and it's just, I, I for ages I kept on quoting uh, Jesse Ventura, you know, you, you die, here, you know, bite here in a world of hurt, kind you know, just like it's just so full of memorable lines. It's it's just loud, fun. <laughs> I actually like Predator Two as well. Oh, yeah. I think it's it's very much of an '80s movie. You know, it, it kind of ticks all those '80s boxes. But yeah, I I, I, I like because it extended the mythos. You know, you saw the Andolini pistol, and you kind of hinted at a wider universe. And it was like, ooh, okay, that's that's I like that. What's what's go? I want to know more about that now, please. Which is a
0: shame they never kind of kind of did it. But so I'm like, easily pleased. <laughs> Something else we always tend to be really curious about especially when it comes to people like yourself, you know, authors who play in the expanded universe is how aware they were of the other comics or, or books or stuff like that before they added to that tapestry themselves. So, you know, prior to working on Predator, Oh, I forgot the title, the rites of passage, your first one, yeah. in rites of passage, you know, were you familiar with what dark horse? Yeah. As, as a fan, I, I picked up the
2: um, Mark Verheiden series, the first one in black and white, and then the Dave Bravais one afterwards. and And, the, the, I picked those series up and the Predator thing. So it's – because it was still kind of like a very like a novel thing back then. Mm. So, you know, it's not like it is now where there's so much lace and stuff. So, yeah, so I've I kind of like been picking them up from the, from the get-go. Read the Alanine Foster novels, of course. And so it's really weird to think, you know, back then, no internet as such – so you you would pick up anything that kind of related to the the thing that you wanted you know if you wanted more aliens you wanted more product, you had to buy the comics or buy the novels or whatever so uh, yeah so I, I picked up the comic series and of course the the, the Denny Beauvais one I loved that that was a, that was my fast favourite I think it just looked so cool looked so great the artwork was amazing that
0: sort of cinematic style of art oh
2: yeah in, essence, in some respects he kind of spoiled me because some of the other series afterwards it's, you know it Kelly Jones who's great on his
1: own you know they just go oh
2: I want it more like this <laughs>
1: That was published as Nightmare Asylum, right? Yeah. Yeah. Book, book two, Nightmare Asylum. I'd done a Terminator series for
2: Dark Horse, prior. To, I think prior to that. I'd, way back in time, I'd, I'd done a couple of series for uh, Strips for Deadline, which was a magazine over here, a pop culture magazine that was home to Tank Girl by Jamie Hewlett. So Steve Pugh, comic artist extraordinaire these days. And I did a couple of scripts. They got picked up by Dark Horse Presents. And they said, do you want to come and do something else? I went, yeah, fine. They went, do you want to do a Terminator series? He was like, "Oh, okay. And so it was the second series, mini-series that they'd done. I was following on from the first one. So um, I did that. And I said, yeah, you know, and I went, anything else? And they said, well, you know, how do you feel about, like, your know, Aliens Predator." Predators? I went, "Oh, okay. And, they, and then I think they said, we've got a spot in the new anthology that was coming up. So it was that short story that kind of was just the right fit for that. So And that's kind of how how I started doing the the AVP kind of
1: stuff. Your first work with Dark Horse on these franchises was a Predator short called Rite of Passage. As you said, it's an entirely dialogue-less story that deals with a tribesman going up against a Predator. While comics are a visual medium, they still tend to rely on dialogue or thought boxes to put additional context and points across. Did you find it difficult to write something that didn't rely on those elements? (laughs)
2: I wanted to make it timeless. That it could have been, you know, the nineteen twenties, or it could have been way back. It it was just literally, you know, boils down to like a young man and his right of passage, and he actually comes up against the you know the, the predator, and that how the story folds. And I thought, I don't want to kind of like date it with anything in any kind of references, and and I just thought let's just keep it just pared down and almost like a, a cave painting story. You know what I mean? In, in that it could have been the right passage of some 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 boy years ago. And so initially the editor said, well, are we paying your page rate? You've not, you've not written any dialogue. And I said, well, I, I can. And I, I, I did put some like thought balloons and things, but I, I didn't want to kind of purple prose it. I didn't want to over-embellish it. I just wanted to keep it stripped down and you can see what's going on and you put your own interpretation kind of on it. It's not abstract, but, you know, you and I think there was one with with thought captions and stuff on it. But in the end, they, they went with it being pared down. They went, no, 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 you're actually right. It works better like this. That went great. You know that, that's that that's fine. So yeah, it was that's. And, I mean, it was early days as well. So to actually kind of go to the an editor, you know, it's like actually I think it's better like this. You know, where normally you go yeah okay I'll do whatever you want. You know, I'm, I'm the young kid on the block kind of thing. I'm not going to say no. And yeah, and, it, well, and I think on the strength of that, they kind of went. We were more open to let me do other like avp stuff then they kind of gone okay yeah you know he's he's proved his chops kind of thing and so let's give him something else and i think was the the next thing was was it rogue that we did i think yeah after that so that that was they kind of were happy with that then so it's like okay off you go
0: i think one of the great things about predator is it's really flexible Mm. in what you can do with storytelling and and that kind of thing you know this entirely you projecting onto it visual story is is perfect i think it works really well
2: yeah, and it was—I mean, it was Rick Leonardi, I think, on the artwork. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Rick's just—you know—he just did you know, he, he, a superlative super job. So it's kind of just great. I
1: definitely think the the lack of dialogue or thought bubbles worked really well for that comic. And honestly, reviewing it before this podcast, it it kind of made me think of the premise for the upcoming film a little bit. Get that too, Aaron, or no?
0: Well, what we know of, <laughs> what yeah. we know of the film, yeah. You did. You just seem to be preempting a lot of uh, what they would do in the future. In. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, I, I don't know. I don't like it, I don't know. But yeah, it just it's a very like fertile medium to play in, you know what I mean? It's it's kind of it's it, I, I like to write intelligent adventure action kind of stuff. I'm not an overly cerebral writer. I just like to have fun. You know, I like to primarily be entertained. I just go, you know, would this make me go, I want to read this. I want to watch that. It's like, wow, okay. And just that, and I just think, I just want people to be entertained at the end of the day. You know, I've had a good ride, you know, a few shocks, a few laughs, gone, wow, you know, couple kind of like, wow, that's cool moments. My work here is done, kind of thing.
0: It also speaks to the the shorthand comic mentality of the one with as well so you know when you're saying is this something i'd like to see it speaks to that the one with the guy eating the predator heart the one with no dialogue where it's a a dude fighting a predator kind of thing you know i like that so you you mentioned rogue which is one of many many of your the one withs (laughs) So you seem to really enjoy throughout pretty much all of your stories, all the way to, you know, Batman, (laughs) Batman versus Alien. You seem to really enjoy playing with an element that a lot of writers really underutilized until very recently. And that was, you know, the DNA reflex. So yeah. with Rogue, you had a really interesting take on it. And, and it wasn't necessarily just DNA reflex, it was eugenics, I guess, you know, selective breeding to, to breed in traits and attitudes into the aliens. And you know, the main focus of that comic was the creation of the king. But you did demonstrate that the Kleist, the, the, the you know, the bad guy for the comic had had effectively managed to do what he was trying to do. You know, he had successfully bred certain traits into the adult aliens but you know because the king's the main thing of the series you know it's one of those elements that's there for you to think about as you move on with the narrative so what did did you actually envision a goal for him you know with these aliens that he successfully bred to control you know what what would have happened had he not messed everything I up I
2: I'd, I'd read I'd have been reading some like film magazines I think that and the, all the the gossip of what was going to be next and so on and that whatever the alien hatched from took on traits of the host subject so You know, like in Alien 3, there's the dog alien and that kind of thing. I thought, oh, that's quite interesting. So what if somebody actually did that purposefully with programming and stuff so you could make them not necessarily more docile, but more trainable, or you know, you could, you could get them to do. They could be applicable to certain tasks and work in certain environments. And so it's it, it's an essentially it's almost like a David Cronenberg kind of thing where you're you're making an organic tool. I confess the king was meant to be excuse me sorry, like a big like what the fuck moment. So it's one of those things where people go wow well, okay you know and it's like I'm going to be contrary. There's a queen. Let's have a king. I don't know why, but it's a good idea. It's a really cool. But Kleist in the end kind of wanted the king always to be his controlling monarch. So you know the the king would do the con- controlling of the, his programmed aliens kind of thing. My memory's a bit spotty on this because it was a long time ago and I'm an old man. But yeah, so the, the, the idea was that you could like, program these these things so uh, it's like organic kind of like body horror kind of thing. And so they could be used for anything. And also, I mean, Kleist is just one of those scientists who's kind of given a free reign and has no control over him. So he's just doing stuff because he can. So I mean, I think there's one bit where he's just got all these live heads of humans, his subjects just, roll, just rock, lined up. And the editor said, why are they there? I said, we're not going to explain it. We've just done it. He's just a mad bastard. And so he's Imagine. just done these things because he can. You know, I, I read some literature about German, uh, German scientists, sorry, Russian scientists keeping live dogs' heads alive. And I thought, okay, you know, just because they could. And so I thought, okay, he's just a crazy dude. But he does that. Uh, there's a thing at the back where, you know, he's trying to create these programmable organisms. So that, that was from what I can remember. Yeah, it was just there was like this Cronenberg kind of vibe. I was trying to get you know, where it's like programmable matter and you know repurposing. So it could have just been for whatever he
0: wanted. Yeah. Sorry, there's, there's no deeper meaning. I do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair because it's a fake memory, but I always had until I it's a fake memory because until I reread it and remind myself that this isn't what you did, but I always had it as. Um, you suggesting other uses for them, like outside of, of military stuff. And then every time I come back to reread it for some reason or another, I'm like, no, that's not what he said.
2: <laughs> I, no, I haven't read it. I have to go back to it, actually. I haven't read it in ages. So it's, well, I'll, I
1: didn't that's a good really like your, your dialogue boxes in the intro that talk about, like, we don't just conquer our fears, we market them. Yeah, I would open the, the that. comic. That was really interesting.
2: Wow, wow. that's good. I'm most impressed with myself. I don't remember <laughs> that. That's great. Definitely got to go back and reread it.
1: One of
0: my favorite things about doing these podcasts and, and actually getting to talk to the creators like yourself is the prep. You know, just going back and rereading these things and just remembering just how flipping awesome <laughs> these things are. I, I always say it's um, research with quotation marks. Oh them? yeah, yeah, no, it's legitimate research. It is. Exactly. It's, yeah. Exactly.
1: And uh, one of the elements that the Alien universe tends to stand out for is that the synthetic characters almost always have white blood, so much that whenever they have a red blood shown, it's generally a big deal. So in Aliens Rogue, when we see a synthetic take an injury, it is red blood. We were curious if that was a deliberate detail on your part.
2: I think that might have been a coloring movement. Oh, yeah.
1: We we thought it might have been, but we were just kind of curious. I don't
2: remember anything quite distinct
1: for that. I will have to go and double check, but I suspect a
2: coloring boo boo was in the works. Gotcha.
0: Thought so, but it's it's one of those. I think it's it's Adam in particular is really interested in yeah, the, it's, the it's times that like we have to ask
1: about because there are a few instances of that happening. Sorry, me? to
0: this point, I can, I'll, I'll try and
2: make It was a mistake. Yeah,
1: I'll make some that was like, oh, yes, that's a
2: clever thing. But no, sadly, not. It's fair. It's fair. Yeah. <laughs>
1: After Rogue release, Dark Horse followed your series with one called Labyrinth. There was a lot of surface similarities between the two, so much so that people wrote into Dark Horse questioning why they were doing your series again. Were you ever aware of that reaction? Was that the Killian Plunkett
2: one? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love
1: that. No, there were some similarities, but I, I, I
2: didn't think you know, hey, it's, nice. it's too much like mine. No, I, I, I love that series. So no, I'm, I wasn't aware of too much. I think there's certain things that when you deal with the Aliens universe, you know, you're going to always have like you know, Marines and you're going to have labs and you're going to have, you know, there's, there are going to be certain
0: going to be
2: uh,
1: like robot, big robot, re- recurring
2: elements kind of thing. So yeah, maybe it's,
1: maybe it's just a case of that. And we were also curious to know if you ever read the novelization of Aliens Rogue and what you thought of it.
2: Yeah, I did. Cause I, I, I really wanted to write it myself. I was itching to do some prose. I really wanted to write it myself. And I think, was it Judith and Garfield Reed Stevens? I think yeah, I as,
1: yeah.
0: As Sandy something.
2: Yeah, I, they the, what the guy who was the spy, the industrial espionage agent, they swapped some things around there or did something different. But so I was like, oh, okay. But you know, hey ho, yeah. But I, I, did, I did read. I, I read a lot of the, those novels at the time. You Knowing the music of the spears and Spears, because again, dearth of material. When something comes out, you just grab it. Well, but yeah, it, it was overall. I was I was okay with it. It's, you know, it's nice to have a, a book out. You just wish your name was on the cover somewhere or something like that because it just so appeals to the ego. But otherwise, yeah, I, I, I was
0: okay with it. Is it weird to you reading other interpretations of your work, your story? Yeah, sometimes it's kind of more often than not because you go,
2: "Oh, that's a really good idea. I wish I thought of that." I've got to go. Damn. Oh, damn. Okay. It is, and uh, I, 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 kind of, I I did the series for 2000 Eagle Scarlet Traces, which is a sequel to War of the Worlds. If the Mar- if the British Empire reverse engineered the Martian technology and how it would have extended the empire. And a couple of years ago I okay. actually put together an anthology of prose short stories <laughs> set in that world. So it was all based on my stories. but then we got people like Stephen Baxter, Adam Roberts, Chris Robertson, and, so, and they did stories using my characters and my world, but their own take on it. And that was a very that was very weird to read because it's It was, it was somebody somebody playing in the corner of your world and you didn't have any control over it, but it was like that's still your stuff. It was like somebody coming in and them trying to close on. <laughs> it seems like. But oh, it was good it was good. It was like good fun to read. It's like, okay, this is, you know, it's nice. It's great. People took some stuff in some directions that I hadn't even imagined. And so yeah, it's 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 flattering and kind of always intrigued to see whatever you know, other people can come up with. I mean in all fairness, I've done the same with other people's work as well sometimes, you know, like I say, when you do the license stuff by taking somebody else's property and embellishing
1: it. So,
0: after Rogue, you worked on Purge, and along the theme of doing things that the films and other people would then sort of (laughs) do, you you played with an element that wasn't strictly in the film, but the novelization of Alien Resurrection would address to to touch on something in the film. And that's natural conditions stunting the growth of aliens. Um, with the resurrection novel, it was a, a thyroid issue, but with purge, you went for leprosy. So, where did this concept come from? And you were, were you aware of resurrection, toying with that? No, I, I hadn't read the novelisation, but uh, I, I just wanted something. I thought, well, I, I thought there's got to
2: be something that can affect the processes. You know, the biological processes and I was just like okay well, yeah, think, think of something that's kind of interesting and so I came up with dry leprosy which is non-infectious kind of leprosy and I just like the idea of this, this colony where these people are willfully being being experimented on you know they've got they've all got chest bursters in them but it's just a fact of their life that ordinarily they would have a terrible life You know, they couldn't be treated and so, but here they're actually living kind of like their best life in this colony. And I I just wanted, I like the idea of outsiders being the main star. So it's all these like grumpy old guys who are all infected. And of course, uh, Eloise, I think it was the the synthetic. And she's very like maternal over them. And of course, we know why, because of stuff that happens to her. But yeah, it's just one of the, again, it's just one of the things I think I've read something that, oh, that was it. Yes. Right. Dusting off the memories. I've been talking to my mom at the time, and we were talking about the, the, the thalidomide stuff that had happened in Britain in the 60s, where pregnant women were prescribed th- um, thalidomide to stop, I think, morning sickness, and it resulted in terrible birth defects and things. Like that. But I read afterwards that it was being used in, to uh, retard leprosy in some cases. So, this drug that had, had terrible effects on a lot of people, there was an application that was actually saving lives. There were, were uh, applic- you know, side applications that this you know this terrible thing. So I thought, okay, let's let's carry that over and kind of extend the scientific metaphor kind of thing. And so that's where that came from. Thank you for it. I, was, I hadn't thought of that in years. So that's where that kind of came from. Was was that a story you pitched as well? Yeah, they they said we've we want one shot. I said, well, do you want to base on? They said, no, don't touch on this, don't touch on that, but otherwise, you know, it's up to you. And I'd, I'd hoped, I mean, I'd set it up so there could have been more adventures. I think we managed to squeeze one more
0: short story with her uh, later on. Yeah, that was. I think that was towards the end of year time, right? Yeah. Did we talk off the air or on the air about her bouvet's artwork for that one? I can't remember.
2: I was really chuffed when I said he was going to be doing the cover because obviously that that series that he did I, I loved and so then oh by the way we've got denny there. It's like oh wow okay that's that's really cool and it's such a gross cover you know it's, it's like when people see it they have an opinion you know what mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's, it's not one of those you can't not have an opinion about and i know he's done commissions of, it,
0: of the same cover several times just because of the, the, the popularity it's one of the iconic ones isn't it and denny as well you know it's like we've been saying he's one of the franchise's best artists
1: and Perch is one of those rare stories where you have like an AVP sequel to a standalone Alien story with um, pursuit. And yeah, there's only really been a few times that we've seen that. So I, I do always appreciate that where you have something that was started as either an Alien or Predator story, and then we see a sequel to that that goes AVP.
2: Well, I try and I try and put little plot threads out, and then if they, I get called back to do something else, I try and weave things in. So don't know, jump ahead, but in Eternal. There's the mention of the legend that Samurai Tsubatai, and we actually see him later on in Xenogenesis kind of thing. So it's I like to throw these little plot threads out there, and if I get the opportunity, then I'll pick them up and weave them into the new stuff kind of thing.
0: Well, even even the little details as well. You know, in Rogue, you introduced LCT Corporation, and then they yeah. were the ones that were doing the experiments in Purge. So, you know, even, yeah. even those little stories you tell. In all the work I've done, I, I love world building. But not to do it overtly,
2: so I like it when people go, oh, that links to that, oh, and that links to that. And I like people to spot the Easter eggs and the little things because mm. it's, you know, it's I, I love doing stuff like that myself when you're reading the books. and it's um, So I, thought, yeah. I, I just like leaving, leaving these little bits out there. You know, they don't make any major
0: difference to the plot, but if you pick up on them and go, oh, that's really cool. And um, it's you know you kind of pat yourself on the back. It's, well, it's definitely just like you say. It's something the fans love to see. You know, after things like isolation, everybody's alien isolation. Everybody's ready for mentions of Siegson and all the callbacks and stuff like that. So yes, yeah, bro.
1: Wasn't the Grant Corporation in the RPG, Aaron? Didn't they mention that in that one? Grant Grant wasn't from.
0: Well, no, you mentioned Grant Grant in Rogue as well. So you know, you called back to um, Genocide. Oh right, that's from Genocide. Yeah.
2: There's a lot of stuff that have been used in the novels and games, things that I had no idea about. <laughs> so in some sense, it's quite nice and quite flattering. just like, oh, okay, that's that's. Yeah. But yeah, because it's it's just, you, know, you throw these things out there and then they take on a life of their own. It's just quite apt, really.
0: So after after Purge, you went on to do your first AVP series, as we talked about earlier, Eternal, often considered yes. to be one of the best that the AVP concept has to offer. Thank you. But it does something. The, the movies are heavily criticised for, and that's setting the story on Earth. How do you think Eternal succeeded there, where the movies failed? And did the setting actually offer you much difficulty while writing this? I tried to give it a bit of a
2: cyberpunky edge, so it was kind of like mm. slightly in the future as opposed to present day, although we never mention it, but it's the, the whole idea, you know, it's like 25 years in the future kind of thing, and, and the way technology is. And I, I tried to focus again on, on like character and the motivation and things as opposed to bringing things in that, that would date it kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, the Dark Horse were very amiable to kind of like, you know, set, setting it in present day. I said, you know, a lot of what we'll see will be, you know, there's going to be lots of fights and it's, there's going to be labs and things. So we're not exactly going to see of stuff. And I tried to set it in the Far East as well. So it was like mm-hmm. a different different urban zone unlike you know, like, you know, LA in Predator 2 and things oh, like I, that. So, yeah, I tried not to make it too mundane and day-to-day. So, you know, even the present-day world, as what's well in that issue,
1: that, that series, still looked quite appealing. Yeah, it was Tokyo, wasn't it? And yeah, I think they have yeah. those Ooh. kind of, like, Blade Runner-esque yeah. buildings.
2: I've been reading here. a lot of William Gibson and Neil Stevenson at the time
0: and Ooh. Pat Cadigan and things like that, so it kind of, it seeped in. <laughs> it's funny because Pat's actually recently done a Alien story. Ah. Based on William Gibson's Alien script. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. The society, yeah. There is so much these days now.
2: It's just like, oh, good grief. I can't
1: keep up. <laughs> well, we're happy about it. We're not complaining. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no no no. no, no, no. Eternal is also where we saw the introduction of the concept that eating predator hearts could prolong human life, something that you would also revisit in Xenogenesis. Can you tell us about the origins of that particular story element? Yeah, again,
2: it was just, it, it's reading a lot of non-comic stuff and things of science and reading science just feeds into it. And I think I read something about sharks in the Arctic because they've got a different kind of system. And they worked out that somewhere were like 500, 600 years old. And there were scientists who were going to try and work out some way of using that to in applications for modern science. I thought, well, okay, so they want the predator, yeah. not just for the technology, but what can they yield? Like with the aliens, what can they yield with their physiology? And so. The guy found, you know, by eating the predator's heart, it healed him and gave him a certain kind of longevity. And so, as he as he got older, it wasn't just physically eating it; you could extract the chemicals and process it. And so, it was that um, again, the, the Cronenberg-y body horror kind of thing creeps in again, and the utilisation of physical resources of another species to extend your own, you know, because it's. You know, you know what we used to like asset strip whales for every, you know, for everything, you know, bones and
0: flesh, and so oh, really? we would do the same thing with another species, regardless. I, I forget
1: the terminology, but isn't there a thing in the East about oh, what's what's the phrase? Or are you thinking about the one that Shane Black did, like eating the heart of your enemies or something that he was doing on the lead up to that movie?
0: It's going to really annoy me now. The, the the East's unusual medicine thoughts. Ah. I can't remember what it's called. Do you know what I mean? Where, where they? Yeah, they, well,
2: yeah. To, to, to be honest, well, there's an
0: element of that that fed into it as well. So that, that that was a deliberate sort of thing in terms of, you know, setting it in yeah. the East and him deciding to just try it in the heart from, from an angel, I guess, for all intents and purposes for
1: him. Yeah. One of the things I was wondering about is where he put that ship for all those years because <laughs> he, he found the crash and it ended up 700 years later in his tower. I was like, where did he hide that thing? How did that work? he built up his fortune and then kind of didn't tell anybody about
0: it and then went back and moved. To Everybody in that village was dying anyway. So they didn't see it crash. <laughs> uh, Adam, didn't you also, when you're also curious about Becca,
1: the um, reporter. Right. So yeah, that, that our protagonist in uh, Eternal, at the end of it, it kind of sets up like she's ready to do more investigative reporting on what's happening here. But I don't believe we ever saw another story with her. So, is it something no, you we were at one time yeah. planning, or do you think there's potential there to bring her back?
2: I'd, I'd love to. That's, I mean, again, that's one of those things. Those kind of like plot threads I threw out there, and it's like it's ready to be picked up you know, as and when. I mean, I, I'd love to do that. I think I, I thought she was a really good character. I, I really like writing her, and so it's like you always hope that might get picked up later on but you know know, and and that you get to do it
1: (laughs) yeah well hit up marvel i mean there's their avp comics should eventually come i guess after they launch the predator ones but we would like to like as fans there are some older plot threads like i'm sure on some level they want to do their own thing but there are some older plot threads we'd also love to see continued and that is definitely one of them
0: becca's also interesting in that she's not You know, she's she's tough and she's driven and all that. But unlike a lot of like the the female leads that we get in the alien and and the AVP stories, she wasn't so physically inclined. You know, she wasn't an action hero. She was she was a lot more figuring things out and stuff like that. And that makes her stand out quite a bit against, you know, the likes of Machiko and Ripley and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I didn't want it to be kind of that kind of strong female kind of cliche that was in that kind of universe. I wanted it to be where, you know, she would get a punch in the face and she would she would mess up and she would but she would ultimately figure things out, you know, and, and work things out and save the day. But in her own inimitable way, she wasn't Teflon. you know, she she she, uh, she she had her faults, but she still, you know, came good at the end
0: of the day. I liked it. But, you know, we did keep up the female main characters as well. You know, you mentioned Eloise earlier. I have a huge soft spot for Eloise. I think she is so fascinating as, as a character. And you, you revisited her again in Pursuit. And that was a wild comic as well for me. And, and I think LCT ended up showing up in that one again. So, you know, you maintaining those those world building threads, even in the shorts. But more interestingly for me is she's still out there. Did, yeah. did you ever think about what you'd want to do with her if you ever came back to her? You know, especially with the wild nature of what was going on with her and, and that story.
2: Well, that's it. She just kind of headed off into space with a bunch of old grumpy old blokes. Basically, she was she was a century like Cinderella and and uh, Snow White, and they were like the kind of like the seven dwarfs with leprosy, and they were and they heading out into space. I, I I would always hope there would be a chance to do some more stuff. I, I thought you know she she was definitely a character that got mileage, and because she was such a unique individual in her like physiology, people would be coming after her, and so she would be like a she, she was essentially she was corporate property so people would be sent out to go and get that corporate property back and of course then you'd have other companies trying to get it as well and so you know there would be a pursuit after her and, and what would be going you know the wider story and that so yeah it's one of those you know I would love to have done more but it never kind of materialized but you know it's it's there's still the chance you never know you know I'd love to get the phone call from Marvel going do you want to come and just do a bit more you know tie these things up but you know at, at the minute they they obviously they're giving the books name you know the big name creators because they want to get things going again the
1: alien synthetic hybrid concept kind of reminds me of something that they later did in the fire and stone and life and death series with Elden yeah. Because you did kind of mention that the android blood has some sort of like biomechanical element that allowed the alien DNA to bond with it or something like that. And so that was an interesting take on that.
2: Yeah, I can't remember how I did it, but uh, yeah, I kind of made the leap that they could somehow connect the, you know, grow basically androids. I think the idea was like they could grow androids as opposed to actually having to build them and it would be like an easier, cheaper kind of uh, production. But yeah, I mean, I I always hoped I'd, I'd throw these things out there and hope there'll be the chance later on of picking them up and doing more stuff with them you know and who thought you know, there might be the chance now <laughs> now 20 odd years on it's like oh, okay
1: I believe you're actually the only comic writer outside of Randy Stradley to actually touch on specific elements coming off of the original Aliens vs. Predator comic. In AVP The Web, you revisited the character of Robert Sheldon, the young boy who survived the Predator's initial slaughter on Rishi. And you went in a very surprising direction with Bobby Sheldon. Can you tell us a little about how that one came to be?
2: I can't remember the the story 100%, but I do remember I I pitched the idea and I thought they're never going to go for this. (laughs) You know, because I the, the, that AVP crossover was a big deal for Dark Horse and stuff, and they went, to, yeah, no, it's fine. It's like, oh, okay, then. And so I, I just, I thought, I like the idea that those events in in the, that first series had shaped him and warped him, so that he he would spend the rest of his life kind of fighting against the aliens, and the, you know, in his own kind of he, he's got this kind of own obsessive kind of crusade, and he's he becomes like Howard Hughes kind of reclusive, warped multi-billionaire kind of thing and so yeah it was that's just kind insane. of it was just a strange warped little story
0: <laughs> but i was surprised that they let me use the the character but even even like the soup thing that you did with him as well it was like that's that's wild you know that that's that's giga that is yeah
1: <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a shocker story for me because I just remembered in the original comic that that scene with the kid's parents and the predators that have kind of broken off from uh, the code there, and you're just like, oh, poor kid." But then in this story, it's like he's become this evil cyber-like megalomaniacal guy who's after the predators, which it makes sense. But still, you're like, "Whoa, kid has had a sad life here. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's got a bit wild. <laughs> he didn't take it well. Yeah, he just decided to to do that.
2: She so it it's." Yeah, he was like a, uh, um, a cross between like Howard Hughes and William Randolph Hearst and stuff. And I thought, you know, if you've got that intelligence and you've got all that money and there's nobody to tell you no, wow. what what do you do
0: kind of thing? So so he just kind of ran wild. And it's one of those, you know, like you were saying, you know, that there was little story details that, you know, it's such a small part of AVP. And then it's like, you know what, yoink, let's do something with that. that fans love, you know, I remember the first time I, I read that, and I realised who it was. I was like, Ah, oh, this is amazing! I love it. <laughs> yeah, I and mean, that, that's that's the thing. It's just a fun
2: thing. It's just like you know, dropping dropping little Easter eggs and things. And just it's like how everybody in Star Wars now remembers that the stormtrooper bumps his head on the door. <laughs> yeah, and so that they became Tag and Bink. There were further stories about these two guys who stole stormtrooper armour, and they kind of that, so they're in all the movies, and you'll see them in the background, and there'll be characters doing something like the guy bumping his head, but actually they're these two guys who are impersonating stormtroopers, trying to get the hell out of a sticky situation. <laughs> Uh, and so I, I just like the idea of like, you know, who's that guy at the back there yes. you know, sipping the coffee? Let's let's see his story. You know, there's no such
0: thing as cannon fodder. You know, everybody's got a, a backstory. Mm-hmm. And so let's see what's what. So to go from that little person to that big person, you know, your last work on the franchise was scripting Batman versus Aliens. Yeah. You know, one of only a handful of crossovers with DC. And, and this was also some time after the first series. You know, this was many years after the first crossover. Yeah. It was after Dark Horse had stopped regularly printing Alien comics as well. And, and tonally as well. Crossovers tend to feel a lot different to the main, at least to Alien. How did you find the experience working on that one? Was it was it, was it it weird doing the crossover? It was kind of weird because the editor kind of like
2: disappeared partway through at the beginning. I don't know whether we had been let go or left and things. And I don't know if we fell between the cracks or what, but, you know, I was, I was doing stuff and Stas, the artist, he went and got some of the work because we were just we were waiting and went. And then all of a sudden we got this email, of phone go, like, you know, where the, where the hell is the script? And so we go, going, who are you? I go, I'm the editor. And it's like, oh, well, nice to meet you. Well, and so we suddenly had to jump back in and it was a real kind of like race to the, to the finish. I mean, it was fun to do and trying to fit it into the, the, the mythos. And I think it's the wheels get a bit wobbly towards the end. I'm not going to deny it because I think we were, it had been scheduled and we we're in kind of like a race against time to kind of get it all done to a d- degree of decent satisfaction. But I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there I'm, I'm really pleased about. There's stuff in the 1920s with the temple under the ice and things. Mm. I think it's like the, the, like the Joker alien. Where you know, it's the albino one, with it. and there's some nice bits in there. So yes, I, I was pleased with the way it would turn out, but I wish we'd had
0: a bit more space, you know, a bit more breathing room to kind of not have to do things at such a mad pelt. It was interesting in in how it would split into the three distinct parts as well. You know, obviously mm. the three distinct tissues, but each part felt uniquely different, which I thought worked yeah. really well for it. This is somebody, I don't like the crossovers. In general, I've never liked the crossovers. But the last couple of years, I started reading the um, collections that they've been putting out, and I revisited the the Batman stuff, yeah, and the Predator ones as well. I was like, these actually worked really well. And then when I got to, you know, part three of yours, I was like, this is so much fun.
2: I, I <laughs> love this. Just go crazy, it was, again, it, it was just meant to be like stupid fun and entertaining and things and so on. And I thought, you know, the idea of like crossing the aliens over with the Batman villains and things, and how, how can we do this? And, you know, Killer Croc seemed a natural... Was that a
0: deliberate reference to the first
2: one with the crocodile alien? Only the fact that he's already a Batman villain, because I, I know Ron Mars really well and stuff. So I talked to him over and, and I think it's only because he, he's a Batman villain anyway. So, yeah, but he just seemed a, a natural to-do anyway. But yeah, so it's and of course they made toys, which was even more of a shock later on, which was great. It's like wow, okay. But yeah, no, it was it was it was good. I was surprised to see the um, the temple under the ice crop up in the AVP movie. It's like ah, oh, okay. That looks familiar. A couple yeah. a couple of people did get in touch going, did you ever you seen this? Did you? I went no. I said yeah, but it's not that of an original idea. You know, it stems, goes back to Lovecraft and all that kind of stuff. So I, I can't lay claim to it. But yeah,
0: it was good fun. But if I remember rightly, as well, you know, one of the other crossovers. The one with all four of them. You know, yeah. if I remember rightly, that that went back to Antarctica as well, to because um, yeah. the Predators were chilling down there, if I remember rightly. Oh, yeah. So uh, the, the franchise is like, the, like Antarctica.
1: Yeah. I think you mean the Batman, Superman, Alien, Predator one? Yeah the, yeah, the
2: one with all four. It's like a lost colony, Yeah, isn't it? Something like that? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, they did this collection recently, like before Marvel took it over, this um, paperback that collected the, the first well. one yours and then the yeah there is a predator one as well yeah but yeah the crossovers the batman and the batman and predator and batman and aliens ones probably the most well received i would i would think there's a lot of wacky ones like the witchblade ones got pretty weird yeah but i guess we'll be seeing the marvel ones now i don't know if we will see any more <laughs> yeah. crossovers but there'll be a whole new interesting thing
2: i mean like i think they've already announced that conan is going to be in the marvel universe he's in the savage savage avengers i think it is that's it yeah so part of me is like going oh but both of them is going yeah that sounds really cool
1: yeah conan versus predator
0: yeah it, it's you know what's gonna yeah well, that, that would work i think conan versus predator that's a really good <laughs> idea i like that they did Tarzan Parzan versus Predator, yeah. So, we've spent a lot of this episode praising you and, okay. and, and talking about how much we loved everything you've done. The final series that you worked on was some was one of the Xenogenesis event. The Xenogenesis event is often considered the event that sent the Alien and Predator comics into hibernation. You know, it it was the end of the first Golden Ages, I like to call it. Tell us about working on that series, and and how aware you were of that perception. It seemed like a
2: good idea at the time. (laughs) I I wasn't, just like the whole concept of it, I wasn't too sure, but there was enough in it to make me think, you know, yeah, I'd like to have a go at this, but. It was crossing over the other Xeno Genesis kind of books and and it seemed to be trying to make it all to be something that it really shouldn't have been i'm speaking from Danny the lens of years now so i can't remember all of it quite clearly but it, yeah it wasn't as much fun to write as a lot of the other stuff it came with a, like a lot of restrictions because you had to tie it into the other things and yeah it, 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 you did get the feeling that it wasn't kind of working out as well as it could have done so it, as you say you got you, you got the feeling that maybe the, the the
0: the tanks running out of gas kind of thing a little bit was, was that was that very much a work-for-hire kind of piece? You know, did they come... Yeah, the, it, uh... it
2: was. It was something I'd, you know, I didn't want to turn down. I'd, I'd worked in the, the pro, with the properties before, and so I felt, you know, an affinity, and I thought, you know, this could be fun. I could make it work. But I think that sometimes when you go, you, you need to listen to your inner voice sometimes, just go, you know what, let it kind of go. And so, you know, it didn't work out quite the way I, I hoped it would have done, and I think it just kind of it fizzled, mm. which is quite sad.
0: Do you think that was a bit of a dark horse... Hail Mary, because, you know, Dark Horse didn't really do an event like that. Yeah, know, that, that was a Marvel thing. Yeah, it felt like it shouldn't be an event. It didn't feel – it didn't hang together properly.
2: There was a lot of optimism, but I just don't think it just didn't kind of hang together properly. And so, I mean, you, you know, everybody did their
0: best and things, but I just don't think it was – I think there was there's plenty of concepts in there that I thought were really interesting and, and really you know something to play with probably of, of a focus of its own you know this whole concept of up in the ante with the predators I thought was was really interesting and and the whole you can't keep escalating the situation because it's gonna turn out really bad for us you can't you know you can't beat them and like the whole anti-predator task force kind of thing and, and to be fair it seemed like you did have some fun in some elements you know with bringing back a super tie. You know that, yeah. that 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 was a retcon because I I think in Eternal you, the intent was we lived two hundred years. That's it. We're done. Yeah. But you know, you, you brought him back for a turn um, for Xenogenesis, and I really, really liked that. This this idea of this thousand year long sort of grudge match. Yeah. That was cool. I mean, did did you enjoy working with Supertar in that one? Was Yeah, yeah I just thought it, I thought well, if, if I'm going to do this, I want
2: to put something in it that's going to make me feel that makes me going to want to do it. So you know, there's a, there's that kind of like Highlander element kind of thing. It's just you know, he's been there, he's been behind the scenes and been doing this for all these years. So yeah, I enjoyed doing that bit. That was good fun. Did they do trade collections? Did they only do the one
0: lot? And then they never got reprinted or put together, I think, did they? I don't remember. They were in the omnibus that they did in the mid-noughties to late-noughties. I don't think they ever went to trade. I think you got singles and then they were just collected in, in the omnibus. Yeah. To me, I, started, yeah, I haven't read them in years. I wouldn't mind wouldn't going back and having a look. See what oh, That's something I'm will scouring <laughs> you now. You, you might you might as well wait for the, the Marvel things. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> for the price of Dark Horse's um, mini omnibuses, you'll get like three times as much in, in one. Some of that, I, I didn't, you
2: know, didn't realise how much some of them go for. It's like, good grief. Mm. You know, it's, it's got a, I've got a box of comps, and it's like, how much are these worth? It's like, wow, okay. But I picked up the one with the Richard Corbin stuff, because that, that was a really nice story. I like that, so trying to fill in the gaps between the ones they
0: sent me. But, yeah, they were so expensive. It's like, wow, okay. I mean, at the time they came out, you know, they were brilliant. It was like 20 quid. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was collecting stuff that had never been collected before. Yeah. If it weren't for those things, I don't know how I'd have read half of the
2: stuff that, that's out. My favourites are things like like Mondo Heat, Mondo Pest, the yeah. Ronnie Del <laughs> Carmen stuff. Because, of course, he you know, he, he makes movies now. You know, he, he works for Pixar and things like that. And, and there was the um, Wraith one. Yeah. Was that it and, and then of course the the um Alien Resurrection which was all Eduardo Rizzo artwork, which is great. It's just like wow, that was really cool. So I pick up like those little standalone ones. I tend to get stuff like that bound um, on my own. So I have like little bound volumes of my favourite comics. So I've got like you know a set of uh, you know, Marvel when Marvel did Logan's Run and it was George Perez doing it and there's only like six issues, seven issues. So I've got those done. They'll never get reprinted anywhere because of the rights and things. So i got those done and the Jack Kirby 2001. So, and then I've got one of all the, the odd standalone issues of Alien that I've got bound just for my, my own pleasure.
1: <laughs> That's cool. Was there anything you wanted to do in any of your stories but were forced to abandon for any reason?
2: Nothing. Those I wanted to do, and they said no, you can't. But I always wanted to do go back to Alien and do that big kind of like pants wettingly scary horror, almost like Lovecraft. You know, which it's one person or something again. You know, there's not loads of aliens. It's just literally you've got no weapons, you've got no tools, and there's this thing there. And how I just wanted to do something that was really deep and scary and atmospheric and you know, survivalist kind of horror. So that's what I wanted to do. But of course, you know, it's it's. So that's, I think that would have been, I think, because, you know, I wanted to write Alien, basically. Yeah. I basically, wanted, I wanted to rewrite Alien, basically. <laughs> yeah, there was so much, it's like Clone and Marines and technology and, you know, anti-alien acid suits and things and so on. And I want to kind of get rid of all of that and kind of basically get it back to basics, yeah, but that would have been what I'd like to have done if I had the chance. Yeah,
1: so many of the earlier comics were kind of writing off that hype from the second film, Aliens, and you saw a lot of the more like action-oriented comics. But I think in the later Dark Horse years, Aaron, we started to get some that were kind of more. The survival mm-hmm. stories focusing on a limited number of aliens. So it's something we've started to see a little bit more of in the latter years of Dark Horse. And I definitely hope they continue that in future stories or at least give us a good balance of, of both styles, you know.
2: I mean, I, I've been listening to um, Alien Charybdis. Oh, by Alex White. Yeah. That was really good because uh, I, I, I'd not listened to any for eight. And I just thought, wow, this is great. I love, I really love this. It kind of really got me back into the the alien universe again. I've, I've kind of been out of it for such a long time. And I thought, oh, you know, well, are, they, are they worth reading? I read the short story collection. Mm, there's probably not a good note, to be fair, that first one. So, yeah, there's a, couple in, there's a couple in there I quite liked. And it's it's like, okay. So I thought, okay, I'll give this a go. And I I stopped what I was doing
0: and just sat down and listened to it. I heartily recommend, so Intercarybdis is a sequel mm. to The Cold Forge. Oh, yes. Yeah. Have you listened to that one? I've, I've got that queued up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go to that one once you have done with Charybdis because that's that's where, <laughs> how far in are you? Maybe yeah, i finished Charybdis, yeah, yeah. That's where Blue
2: comes from. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's like, wow, okay. And, and it's kind of gotten back into it, which is nice. It's just like, because I really want to like it. You know what I mean? I love the Alien Predator universe. And so going away and, you know, I fell out of love with it. But coming back now, it's like, okay, this is it's like another generation of people who've kind of picked up the franchise torch. And they're doing really good jobs. So it's like,
0: okay, I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention. Alex Alex, Y and their books are generally considered some of the best the franchise has to offer at the minute. Yeah. It's fantastic. If you haven't, I also recommend Phalanx from Scott Siegler. Yes.
2: Yep, That's been recommended as well. Yeah. Yeah. I like the sound of that. He did
0: one of the few good shorts in Bug Hunt, you know, that anthology book. Yeah. What made you fall out of love? I think it just got, like I said,
2: you know, it's, it's like Marines and, technology and farming aliens and it just kind of like built stuff it got a secretion of stuff around it and it it kind of lost the core sensibility it just became a bit too much and i I kind of wanted to get back to like the core kind of i think sometimes if you explain things too much you you demystify it and it kind of spoils it you know what i mean sometimes it's all right not knowing Mm. you just want to run around be scared and try not to be killed and and that's why the, the last couple of ridley scott movies it's just like i really wanted to like covenant it looked great. I
1: feel you, yeah.
2: You know, and it's just like, oh, really, please, oh. just stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially when you see, like, there's such good, like, sci-fi shows on Amazon Prime and Netflix now, and, things, and you just think, just get these people in, you know, and, and I think sometimes people don't have enough distance from from the property, and it's, so in the end, it just kind of, I, got, I just got put off because it was just too much. But, like, say
0: the, the, those stories, it's like, okay, that's kind of got my, my taste buds going again now. I want some more. <laughs> Well, speaking of not very good movies,
1: <laughs> well, no. and,
0: and I know there's not going to be too much to this one, but there was in the early 2000s, you know, when the first AVP was looking likely. I know we spoke about it off the air, but I guess I'm more curious about your reaction to it now more than anything. You know, there, there, <laughs> there was a pitch from two writers, James DeMonaco and Kevin Fox, that sounded so much like an adaptation of Eternal. How cool would that have been from your perception, you know, to see that adapted on the big screen?
2: When you mentioned it to me, I kind of went, you what now? (laughs) It's like, what? I'm finding this out 20 years later. I can, I can wax the lyrical now with, you know, the hindsight of years, it would have been quite cool, but I don't know how it would have felt going to the cinema and seeing my, if, Well, I don't know if we would have even got screen credit because it was work for hire and, and, and whatnot, but it would have been great. I mean, you know, I where, where would my career have gone if they kind of that had been the movie? It would have been Wouldn't so be cool. cool. But yeah, I mean, because it's licensed, I suppose, you know, you don't, you don't have a say, and so they give it to a screenwriter or whatever to have a go. Or, so you have to kind of be philosophical about it. But it would have been, cool. <laughs> been cool. I can't. It would have been cool. I would have really loved it. You know, it's would have been nice to get paid for it or whatever. But it just still, even so, part of me, part of me that the, the fanboy part of me was still gone. Yeah, but they made a movie of your comic. You know, it's like okay, yeah, it's it's kind of a bit of a you know, double-edged sword. But it would it would have been cool. Come on, it would have been, cool. been cool.
1: Yeah,
2: a big wedge of cash would have been nice. <laughs> but it would been,
1: cool. <laughs> been cool as well. Yeah, I've honestly never understood that some of the fans' aversion to the Earth setting. I think it's just how you do it, and your your comic Eternal definitely did it right, and it showed that I think the concept can work if done in yeah. a certain way.
2: I, mean, I think in the, the second Day V P movie, just didn't do it. But, you know, it, it was almost like a slasher movie kind of thing. It's a small town, and, and that's I think that's the kind of thing that they didn't want. But if you just make the setting make the settings interesting, as like the aliens and the predator, then yeah, I don't see why you can't.
1: We'll see you with the Alien series if they can pull it off with that one.
2: Hopefully, you know it's, it's who's is that for Netflix
1: or am, I think Apple it's going to be Hulu, FX on Hulu, and it's uh, okay. Noah Hawley is the showrunner for that.
2: I mean, because it's been the stuff that's coming on TV seems to be a lot stronger. You know, they're much better made. Fingers, crossed, you know, touch wood. Fingers crossed. Mm. Well, we've got high hopes,
1: big hopes. Yeah. And a lot of elements of what you first introduced into Alien and Predator lore are still used in reference today, particularly in the video games. The Kramer assault rifle is in Aliens Fireteam Elite, a recently released video game. The concept of predator blood or biology prolonging human life was both in Predator Concrete Jungle and Predator Hunting Grounds. So how does it feel knowing concept you conceived have pervaded in the lore after all this time? Again, it was like
2: I did not know this until it was mentioned. But yeah, I mean, it's great to let like, you know that you've done your little bit to add to the canon kind of thing. It's it's you know your your, your stuff is in there and it carries on past you kind of thing. And that, that it was you know good enough as well that people do want to incorporate it. So yeah, I'm, I'm pleased. It's great uh if it makes people happy when
1: they're playing it and just think it's cool then that's great love it something i kind of noticed while reviewing these before the podcast was uh gideon lee using a predator plasma caster on his shoulder it's the first time i remember seeing that but that was in the last predator movie the predator where Traeger had the plasma caster on his shoulder i was like did they take that from that old comic well so i think some of it is just like
2: it just seems like a really cool idea and i kind of did it first
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: not like it, not an obviously cool idea it's like let's do this it's like okay
1: he was smart enough to at least not get his head blown off, even. if <laughs> He was a bit too thirsty for Predator blood to let himself get killed in the end. I love that he cheated the Predators as well at the end of that one. Oh, that I'm not an honourable man and he has yeah. the little side thing that comes out of his armour? Yeah, that's that a good bet. Was
2: it
0: meant to be Ripley in the tank? <laughs> the, the, the... Oh, God.
1: <laughs> so,
0: oh. <laughs> so they they, they oh, shot yeah. multiple endings for that. One was Ripley with a, a mask that looked like a facehugger. One was supposed to be Newt, an adult Newt, and then the one that made it into the film was um, the Predator killer suit. Okay, yeah. I thought Newt because I just thought there's no way they could they could. Does this
2: bring in time travel? Yeah,
1: I, I know, I know all time, timelines. Yeah, it was a very yeah. Uh, we, we, we 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 don't like the film. No,
2: <laughs> we can just imagine that in a, in some LA office, some guy go, some producer guy going, hey, let's have it where it's Ripley, and it's like, it's like
0: yeah, that's a, such a cool idea. When it was happening, though, I was like, my mind went to, is it going to be Royce? Is Adrian Brody going to be back? <laughs> I didn't go to Sigourney Weaver or, uh, you know, Ripley. But Yeah, Pred- I love Predators. Me too. Yeah. I just I just love the fact it just drops you
2: straight in, no yep. explanation. Bang. Best cold open of any of the films. Yeah. But, no, that, I mean, that's the kind of thing that I was talking about. It's like, it's just paid back. You know, it's just, it just drops straight into the action. So, um, yes, gentlemen.
1: Having worked on so many stories for Dark Horse and seen your stories envisioned by many different artists and styles, which do you feel best suited your own writing in terms of artwork?
2: Ooh, that's right. Um, I don't know. I like Will's because we, we, we did this kind of like gothic y body horror kind of th- And so Will's kind of quite scratchy style really suited that. I don't know. I'm, I'm like, yeah, uh, I don't know. But I was happy with pretty much everybody who, who did the stuff. I mean, Alex, in his early days, Alex Maliev, when we were doing Eternal. Was starting out, and I think in, he was also doing the job working on a video or something. And I said, oh, "I've been talking to this artist who's helping me, and the storyboard artist. I think it was Neil Adams. it Turned out he was like a you know, famous comic artist. And so he gave him like pointers and things and stuff. And so after he started doing that job, you could see the change in the artwork style and the, the fluidity into it. So it, that was that was really quite interesting. But no, I mean, he did a cracking job on that. I've been pleased with everybody. I've not not had a, an
0: artist I would ever complain about on, on stuff like that. So I'm all good. <laughs> so I'm going to assume this next one's a big, fat, obvious yes. Given <laughs> um, some of the, you know, what we've talked about so far, but you know, while no longer under Dark Horse's banner, Alien and hopefully Predator are continuing under Marvel. If given the opportunity, would you want to return to Alien or Predator? Absolutely, definitely. Love to lo- love to do Alien. Yeah, have you worked with Marvel before? I can't remember. Yeah, I did Blade. I did
2: a, a regular series of Blade for them. And then when they got the Star Trek license, myself and Dan Abnick, we did two or three series. Yeah, we, we did Star Trek Unlimited, which was a bi-monthly, two-monthly. It was double-sized. So half of it will be classic Trek and half of it would be like next-gen. But we, mainly we did Early Voyages, which was Captain Pike. Okay. The, the pre-Kirk Captain. So yeah. we did the Adventure, which a lot of people seem to remember. Which is, And, of course, there's a the Captain Pike TV series coming up soon. I'm so looking forward to that. But yeah, um, so we did, uh, did Star Trek with them and a couple of other things uh, on and off over the years.
1: So that's actually everything from us. But before we let you escape, we did have some questions from members of the AVP Galaxy community. Crayden would like to know if there was any cinema literature characters you took inspiration from while developing Rogue's Mad Scientist, Ernst Kleitz.
2: Yeah, he, it was kind of a, a mix of Dr. Pretorius from Bride of Frankenstein, which was the Ernest Thessinger character. I mean, that's old, old 30s universal. And also the original Dr. Moreau. Oh, good grief. can't remember his name. The, the guy who played Hunchback who and uh, Charles Lawton. Thank you. Charles Lawton, who played the original Dr. Moreau, who's this quite quite amoral you know, character, he thought nothing of the, the cruelty inflicted on the, the creatures that he was turning into humans. And, uh, and then there's a bit of Herbert West in there as well from Reanimator. So that kind of, yeah, it, it was a bit of a mashup.
1: And Creighton also asks about the design of the Alien King. He was curious as to if he collaborated with Will Simpson and Robbie Bush on the look. Yeah, well, I think we,
2: we we said like the queen looks like this, so we want to have the key so, something you know a, a big hefty cr- creature, but something different uh, shapes, you know, a, a different silhouette kind of thing. And we threw I think we just threw some ideas around, you know, like spines and this and that and so on and so forth. So I mean, uh, at the end of the day, it was down to Will, but we just kind of like spitballed ideas, and then he went you know he went off and did his
0: design, and uh, and Horse were really taken with it, so. That was it. And that cover art as well. Yeah, I can't remember who did it. Who did the cover art? With the, the the awesome one with um, with the king. Oh, that was Will as well. He did the cover art. On right, that. yeah. I think that's my favorite rendition of. Yeah, he was
2: um he did the cover art on those. Yeah, cuz I mean, I, I asked Glenn if he wanted well, on on Eternal if he'd come and do the covers for that cuz I just thought, you know, he'd do a great job. Glenn Fabry, he's it. and I think that that cover the, the trade is quite memorable. You know, the the reflection of the alien in blades. So,
0: so, yeah. So Sil's interest. <laughs> this is funny considering what you were saying earlier, but um, Sil's interested to hear if you have any thoughts on how you might tell an alien story with the information that we've now had from like the prequels and, and the way that's took the story. I'm guessing you wouldn't really want to play in that sandbox, <laughs> no, to be it, Yeah, again,
2: it's, I would take it where it's just like a, a character-driven story with somebody up against alien, you know, or the environment they're in, is got alien or aliens, that kind of thing. All that stuff of... Yeah, no. <laughs> don't want to play with the black girl. No, it's just, it, it, it kind of spoils it. It's kind of, and there was a way of doing it, but they kind of, I don't know. It's just very frustrating. Like, you know, you had the budget, you got the effect, and you just did that with it? Really? Oh, okay.
0: It's embarrassing. It's,
2: it's, it's, just, it's just a shame, <laughs> you know, that they had the resources and they could have done so much more.
1: Yeah, the mad scientists in Covenant Again, like yours is part of those early stories we saw in, in the Dark Horse comics that had like the mad science angle. And yeah, Covenant yeah. went with the Moreau stuff as well. But
2: there was a, a degree of like Dr. Mingley and stuff and things in there as well. You know, that kind of like the insanity and um, amorality and things. But but yeah, no, I don't know. I really want to like Prometheus and Covenant, but it's just... Oh. I don't think you're alone there. Don't worry. Adam hates him. It's not so much anger. It's just disappointment.
1: Yeah. I would, I would like to like them as well. Like I yeah, really yeah, all like All this stuff
2: and every, I'll, I'll have to make it maybe once a year, I'll go back and rewatch them. Cause it's like, were they really that? And you just go, Oh yeah.
1: yeah. There's, there's still like good elements. I think that make it worth the rewatch. Like some of the production yeah. design is just so well done. So there, there's elements I can really appreciate, but yeah. overall, well, that's it.
2: it's just kind of, you got to look, talking production design, I think Titan
0: this year are doing a I big do. art book of Ron Cobb stuff. So that's like, Okay, I, I need to go have a look for that then because I don't think that one's crossed my radar at all.
1: Yeah, I just barely heard about that one. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's, it's late. I think it's later this year they're going to do a big hardback, the way they did the Jeff Darrow one and things like that, which has been a long time in coming because there's only been that one paperback that's had his stuff in from this from the seventies and things, which goes for silly money online. So yeah, it's, back to, it's about damn time. But yeah, it's just
0: you just want to see more of what went on you know, in, the, in the, the background kind of thing. So yeah so that's it, everything um, but before we go you know is there anything you'd like to share any anecdote or thought that we just haven't given you the opportunity to put across with any of our questions
2: it's you know it's all been so long ago it's kind of like trying but it's it's i it's just been fun it's just been a blast that's that's the main thing i've had a really i had a really good time doing stuff you know to be asked to do this stuff repeatedly yeah you just go you're really fortunate you're really lucky I never kind of took it for granted, and just really enjoyed it. And so, you know, hopefully, after I'm long gone, people still pick up the Eternal or whatever and go, "This is a really cool read." But yeah, no, it's it's just been great. You know, it's, it's not very often you get to, to work on things like this, and so it's been great. Can't complain. You know, even the stuff that have been, you know, with problematic, and you know, the Xenogenesis thing at the end. Would still do it again if I got offered it because it was just great toys to play with, and that's that's the thing. You know, I like I've grown up with this stuff. I love you know science fiction and horror and fantasy. It's I'm one of the,
0: I was one of those kids at school. Is there any outlets, any places, websites, social media presence that you'd like to signpost people to? to I'm, find I'm out in an enigma
2: at the moment. I do need to get a website. I haven't got a website set up, but I do need to get one done. Otherwise, no, you'll just have to... I'm, on, I'm an old man. I'm on Facebook, and that's about <laughs> it. You know, I don't, I don't mess around with TikTok and Instagram and all these things that <laughs> the young people do. I I, I I do do a few conventions. every. I do, I do thought bubble up in Leeds. I'm hopefully going to go to New York this year. Oh, I'm jealous. So I'm kind of going to, you know, I want to get back out again after a little Come do one of Showmasters. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll be more than happy to come and do, I do, I've done the one in London a couple of times because I was doing some stuff for heavy metal. So yeah, no, I'll be more than happy to kind of come and do stuff. But yeah, no, I'll, I'll I, I, I like to just sit and – because it's, you know, it's a job where you sit on your own most of the time. So when I when I do Thought Bubble, Matt Disraeli the artist who sketches and more people waiting for sketches, I just sit and gas and talk to people and it's you know, it's just really good and you get feedback and stuff and you know, you often get people go, That thing you did, I don't like it. But I, like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I once had a guy queue up while I was doing a signing in London and he queued up for must be about forty five minutes, just came to the time he went, That thing you do, I don't like it and then he just went. And that was it. And it's like Okay. That was mean, The thing is, the fans on the whole, 99.9% are just great. They're really good. Good laugh. Lovely people. They bring you stuff. I I did a signing for the Iron Maiden comics. And somebody came dressed up, full costume as Eddie, with an Eddie mask on. Just growled and grunted, never spoke. (laughs) Right. Just like, he's the Iron Maiden character. So, you know, it's great people. So, yeah, I'd I'd love to. I want to do more conventions now. Now we're kind of out of the out of covid just you a know teeny- we're coming like out of our bunkers it's uh
0: has war ended
2: to meet to meet people again
1: nice. yeah i would say come to salt lake comic-con but that might be a bit far past new york so
2: <laughs> have a word with people because I'd, I'd be more than happy to come over to things and stuff and if i get a couple that are lined up within a, a close time frame i'll come and do them because i've got friends over there i stop i'd stop with so yeah i just want to try and after covid now so to get out a bit more and meet and greet people and stuff and play
0: hi um I'm really looking forward to we're going to I and mean, the missus are going to London at the end of this month. Yeah, we're in February, aren't we? Yeah, we're going we're going to the London at the end of this month and it feels like it's been like five years since since we've been anywhere. So I'm really looking forward to Going on
2: a train like long, long, well, long distance, an hour or two, it's really weird. You know, it's it's kind of it's it's like it, okay, feels, it's, it's, it just feels strange to kind of like tra- travel and stuff. But yeah, it's I want I want to go up to Edinburgh before the end of February because to see the uh, Ray Harryhausen exhibition because that finishes in February and I really want to go. It's kind of thing. That's the big thing I want to do. So got to de- get on plane, go to Edinburgh.
0: So there yeah. we go. Um, If you're watching this on YouTube, our socials are on the bottom of the screen right now. But for those of you listening, Adam, if you want to
1: shout them out. Sure. You can uh, find us on our website, which is avpgalaxy.net. If you'd like to see our news editorials, we also have message boards to discuss the franchises with fellow fans. We're also on all the major socials, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. If you search AVP Galaxy or Alien vs. Predator Galaxy, you're sure to find us.
0: Thank you, everybody, for listening or watching. This is Aaron. And Adam. And this is
2: Ian signing off, saying if you bite here, you're in a world of hurt.